Welcome, Redeemed family. I'm excited to be able to share a message with you this morning. And uh, I want to acknowledge that I really appreciated the message last week by Dave. You know, whenever you speak about repentance and fasting, that can be a, a tough message. What I liked so much about it was that Dave re kind of uh, positioned fasting in terms of feasting. And so there's two things. One, he said, let's fast, and then we will feast uh, at the end during Thanksgiving, which I thought was pretty smart. But really, he flipped it, and he said the concept here is to deny our flesh and quit focusing on the flesh, fasting from that, and focusing on the things that are of an eternal value and feasting on eternity right now. And so I really do believe that that was a significant word, and if you haven't heard it, go back and listen to it. One of the things that you're going to see is he actually said that repentance is a beautiful thing. And so he explained repentance a little bit, and he, and he put it like this, that repentance is really changing. It's acknowledging that we're missing the mark. We're missing the things that are of that eternal value. And so what you do is you make a shift and you change so that you make sure that you hit the things that matter most. So it's not a, it's not a repentance that focuses on sin. It is a repentance on changing who we are to make sure that we become all that God desires for us. I just, I just thought that was a great message. And then today, um, we're moving it to where we say repentance is not only change, but in repentance, we will find refreshing. And so my message today is about how to move into a place of refreshing with God. And I'm just going to tell you at the uh, beginning here, that this, for me, wasn't one of those things like you just take the cap off of the Snapple and you look and you see something trite or enjoyable. I mean, I, I did it today just uh, to see what it might say, so I took the cap off the Snapple bottle. Uh, I do love peach Snapple tea. And what it said is that mosquitoes prefer people with type O blood. Look, number one, I don't even believe that's true, as if anybody knows that. It's just probably a way to sell Snapple or sound something fun. Today, what I'm really trying to express and bring to life in this message is that there really is a way to find legitimate, life-changing refreshments in the very presence of God. And we're going to see in today's message that God has carved out time to make that happen with us. So He Himself is, is, is making sure that there is time in His God agenda kingdom to spend time with us and you want to know why he does it because he feels refreshed when he meets with us and that's just an amazing truth and we're going to try to have a better understanding of that today so moving towards this concept of repentance remember when i bring it up and when we see it in scripture today it's not think about all the things you're doing wrong it's what can you do to change and grow and to come into that beautiful sense of godliness and into the very presence of God. That's what we're looking at. I just want to read the passage uh, that we're going to be studying today. It's Acts chapter 319. And it says, Therefore repent and return, so that your sins may be wiped away, in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And that's the power of this message. So I can remember uh, coming into a place of having a better understanding of what it means to be in the presence of the Lord. A lot of my life was spent just doing things. And then there came a, a point where I started asking myself, what's really purposeful? What's really meaningful? Is there some things that have eternal value versus just temporary stuff? 
And that was so helpful for me. And of course, one of the things that I discovered first in that is that relationships have that higher priority value. They're very meaningful. They're very purposeful. They're more important uh, than doing things. And of course, you know, the world knows this. They say things, you know, it's not the man who dies with the most toys that wins. It, it's the person that really invested in other people that has a, a meaningful life. Well, I can remember when this kind of came home for me, especially about being in the presence of somebody. Uh, I was about 21 years old, 22, uh, had just gotten engaged to my wife, Marcy, and we were living in Bellingham, Washington. And this was about one or two months before our marriage even. And um, she had said, let's go see Handel's Messiah. And to be truthful with you, I didn't even know what Handel's Messiah was. I'd never been to a symphony or anything like that. But she said it was going to be at the Mount Baker Theater, which is a really renowned place in Bellingham, beautiful old theater. And I had been there as a kid. I grew up in Bellingham until I was nine. And we used to go to the uh, Sunday matinees there. And I loved it. I can't even really remember hardly any of the movies I saw, a few of those fistful of dollars, those Clint Eastwood spaghetti westerns. But what I remember most is that during the middle of the movie, you'd have, you know, halftime or and they would raffle off a bicycle. And so you kept your ticket. I mean, you pay like a buck to get in, but everything was about, hey, well, they call your number and you could even win a bicycle and uh, never won a bicycle. But there were still good feelings about this. So I was excited to go to the Mount Baker Theater more than I was excited to go here or experience Handel's Messiah. So we got there in the evening and I was already uh, kind of complaining because the price, it wasn't a dollar and there wasn't going to be a raffle at half you know, show either. And so it was expensive. So I started kind of having an attitude. I go in, my wife and I are sitting down. It's still those comfy, amazing chairs in the theater. We go for however long. And then I'd, I'm not exactly sure what happens, but I fell asleep. And I think maybe about 10, 12 minutes into it. It just wasn't that inspiring to me. And then uh, I wake up and I look over to my left, uh, my wife to be, uh, and she's kind of looking at me like, you're asleep. And for one moment, I saw in her face a sense of disappointment. I could just see it. And she kind of gave me like this sigh, almost like an eye roll kind of thing, like, really? Where it handles Messiah and you're asleep? Um, and I remember I just felt bad. And I, I, felt, I felt bad because I had disappointed her and I really started processing it for the rest of the uh, symphony because the music wasn't that meaningful to me but what I started to do was thinking about what makes her happy and I started looking at her and just seeing how much she was enjoying it and then for the for that uh, from that time on it came it really became about how much my wife was enjoying it being present with her, not Handel's Messiah, seeing her in a place of happiness and joy. And I mean, it made it so meaningful to me when I look back on it. And I want you to know that if, if we go through this thing called fasting and waiting, wouldn't it be awful that when we're done, we end up being disappointed? And we actually, wow, that wasn't worth it. I'm telling you right now, if we really fast and seek the Lord, and if we find the presence of the Lord, just like I found really what was a enjoyable place in the uh, heart of my wife to be, if you find that, you're gonna find amazing 
joy. You're going to find something really significant. But if you're looking around, and even if it was the best Handel's Messiah ever, and I wouldn't know, and that's all you took away, it's not as good as really connecting with a person uh, that you love. When I look at this passage, and it says that if we really turn and we look for him, we're going to find refreshing, and we're going to find it in the presence of the Lord. I'm just warning you right now, if you've been fasting so that you could lose a few pounds, if you've been fasting so that you can get your Maserati, if you've been fasting so that you can make somebody behave better than what they are right now, you're probably going to be disappointed. But if you're fasting because you really want to be in the presence of God himself and find out what makes him happy, can I tell you you're in a good place? You know why? Because he already finds being with you happy. That makes him happy. And I can prove this. And I just want you to take a moment with me and go back to the garden at the very beginning when God created all the world. And he tells us that he created us in his very image, which is remarkable you know, in the first place. But what's amazing to me is that after six days, when he's completed making everything and then us as the crown of his creation, he does something very fascinating and he rests. He stops and he, and he then just spends time with us. Can I tell you that when God rests, it's not because he's tired. God's God. He doesn't even know how to get tired, okay? He's all powerful. And if he gets tired, he just makes himself untired. That's how it works. He rested not because we're exhausting, even though I think we are exhausting at times. He rested to focus on us, to bring his full self to our presence. That's what he was doing. And when that lands in our lives, can I tell you, whatever we have fasted from is worth it. Whatever it requires for us to truly enjoy being present with him, that makes the moment. And so I'm asking that we would consider understanding that a true fast is making sure that we're present to the moment that we're present in the presence of the Lord and understanding that as a focus that we would have. So that's really where the refreshing will come. And I'm just sorry to say that if you're looking for refreshing in anything else, you're going to come up disappointed. But if you're looking for that, it will be a, a wonderful opportunity just to enjoy this incredible presence of the Lord. So I, uh, I have a feeling that for us, uh, it's hard to fast. I think for a lot of us, we haven't taken the time to do it. We haven't had the practices, the skills. And so I just want to help you to learn how to make sure that you make the most out of this time of pushing things away that aren't the highest priority in our lives and making sure that we center on those things that are. And so I'm going to, uh, before we get to the concept of fasting, let's just take this truth of being able to focus on the things that matter the most and minimize those things that don't and learn how to make sure that we're setting our lives in the right priorities. And so I learned this all the way back in urban planning. My undergraduate degree is in urban planning, Dr. Mukherjee's class at Western Washington University. They taught us this thing called the 80-20 rule. Dr. Mukherjee, I hope I get this uh, correct, but I'm gonna give a summary of it. Basically what you taught us was that most of us in life spend about 80% of our time doing things that are only matter about 20% of, of effectiveness. And that good planning knows how to turn that around to you spend 80% of your time doing the 80% of things that mean the most. And that the 20% are the things that you just have to do. They're required. They're damage controlled. They're not energizing. They're actually draining. But if you spend your time on those things that are meaningful, those 80 
90% of the things, that's energizing. And so we got, we've got to be aware of that and we need to map that out. And so I'm just going to uh, show you how I do this in life. It's called the 80-20 uh, principle. And so I, and I want to encourage each of you to do the same thing, to make your own list. So you have an 80 and a 20%. And so think of that in, times of, in terms of your time, your resources, your focus. What are you going to focus on the majority of your time with your day? And then under 80, make sure you write down purposeful. Because that, that's the key, is to make sure that we have a purposeful life. Also, you want to acknowledge that if you're doing something that's purposeful, that it's energizing. And then over here on the 20, these are the things that you can call it demanding or required uh, and draining. You can use any of those words. I use the word draining on purpose because... They don't inspire me, they actually tire me. But I, what I do in my own mind is I wanna make sure I get those things done and out of the way so I can make sure I, I keep time for the things that really do energize me. So then we have the draining things, the required things, however you wanna call that. Now what you want to do is to make sure that you have about three of those top things that are really priorities to your success and to that purposeful, meaningful life. So you might look at it, what is really energizing? What is it that really means something to me? And for me, my number one is relationships. That is the number one thing in my own life that keeps me energized and focused and feeling great about myself. It brings me energy. My number two is adventure. I need a sense of adventure in my life. I need to be on the edge. I, I just know that about myself. So I need to make sure that I'm putting things that are challenging me, whether that means going on hikes or in the woods or trying new things, but I know I need adventure. And so then I can drill it down to some very specific things, just like you could. So for relationships, you might put spouse um, or whoever that person is, and you would go through and you, and then you can actually make, see how many people that you are uh, investing in, right, and that it's important, and then you can allot time to each one because you can only have so much time and so many people in your lives to be able to do the things that matter the most. And so you just keep drilling that down. Adventure, for me, I might say challenging work experience or different goals. I'd have those down. But the third thing that's very uh, energizing to me is also just this um, ability to be spiritual it's important for me to have a spiritual connection. And so that's, that's always on my list as well. So I don't, I don't want to just walk through life. I really want to feed something deep within me that's greater than what I see about life on earth. So those are some of mine. You look at yours, but these things will energize you. Then you come over here and you look at the things that you're required to do that drain you. And so for me, one of the things I, I just don't like to do is pay the bills. You'll, you'll come up with what yours are, but there's things that you have to do that are detail-oriented, and some people love details, but I don't, I don't like those things. And so you look at it, but if you don't pay the bills, then you have a lot of problems over here. You're not going to do these. So you have to make sure that you do both of these things well, but understand these things drain you so do them with the right priority. Do them to knock them out of the way so that you can focus your attention on this. 
make sure that you're doing these things to have the energy to do the things that are draining. You won't do these hard things. And so maybe it's exercise, maybe it's reading a book or whatever these things are for you. If you don't have the energy to do them, they get pushed away. And then what happens is they become what's called damage control. So now because you didn't do these things, you don't have time to do the things that matter the most. Guess what you're doing? Now you're taking the majority of your time to do damage control that if you would have done these in the first place, you wouldn't need the time for it. So don't get sucked into damage control. Now here's the secret of how this really does work, all right? The secret is as you get your, your list and then you give time to it, so add time to each one of those. That's feasible and realistic. But number two is add margin. If you don't put margin in the time, what'll happen is because life isn't perfect, life doesn't just go with the flow. There's things that happen, there's always traffic jams, there's always this stuff. You can lose your energy, even though you really love going to Seattle or out for dinner, now they burn your meal, now, you know, now there's a problem. If you have margin in it, you can still make it through it and make the most out of it. If you didn't have margin, now you're stuck and you're thinking, now I can't go to another place, I didn't have enough time. You've got to create margin in your life. And what I would suggest to you is that most of life is found in the margin, not even in these things that we think we're going to be doing. It's, it's, it's almost like, yeah, I'm going to go to Handel's Messiah because I want to hear, hear the symphony or learn something new. But what I really ended up in that margin of that moment, I discovered that the most amazing thing of all was seeing my wife happy and, and deeply involved in, in finding something that was purposeful for her. That's where the real life came. So give yourself time in that moment. Now, I'm sharing all this because the secret of this is that's exactly what God did when he created us in his image and made everything. It wasn't about all the stuff that he made. It was about him at the key moment, putting everything on pause and spending time with us. And if you get that, you will move to the place of refreshing. So I'm going to now share with you one of the most terrifying passages that a pastor will share with people because this is almost like a license to go crazy. So I'm asking you to make sure you spend time and think this verse through, own it, and let it really land in your life before you misapply it. But it's Deuteronomy chapter 14, 26, and it's gonna be about being in the presence of the Lord. It's gonna be about really connecting with Him. Deuteronomy 14, 26 says this, well, before I read it, I better give a little bit of backup. The backup here is the Hebrew people have come out of slavery. They're getting ready to move into the promised land. God is setting them up to have a successful life in the promised land. And so he's recognizing that these individuals, these amazing Jews, had 400 years of slavery. So that's 20 generations of having a slavery mindset that he was taking them out of that into this place called a promised land. And in doing so, he had to set them up to learn new things and to do things differently so that they wouldn't take that slavery deficit mindset into the growth mindset of a promised land, okay? So he's telling them, and he's actually going all the way down, eat this, don't eat that. He's telling them stuff like this. If you find dead animals on the road, don't eat that. I mean, that's how basic he was making sure they got it. So he's 
creating this list so that they do well when they get in. And then in the middle of that, this is what he's going to tell us uh, in Deuteronomy 14.26. He says, You may spend the money for whatever your heart desires, for oxen or sheep or wine or strong drink or whatever your heart desires. And there you shall eat in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice, you and your household. He's telling them at a future day, you're actually going to be able to go to a temple and sacrifice to God himself and to be able to be in the presence of the Lord and have a meal with him. And it's going to be difficult. He's going to say, for some of you, you're going to have to travel a long way, so this is what I want you to do. Instead of taking those, those animals all the way to the temple site, I'm going to let you sell them. You're going to take the money. And then when you get to the temple site, he's, not, he's telling them, I want you to do something. I want you to take that money and do whatever your heart desires with it. I want you to make this so meaningful for you and your household that you're going to understand that I'm going to be right there with you in your presence. That's a pretty impressive concept of tithing, isn't it? It blows away what we do now that, okay, we're under obligation to give something to God. God is saying, do you understand you're going to come to a temple? And if you just would bring your heart, whatever your heart desires to that temple, I'm going to sit there with you and learn from you. And by the way, when you come to that table, I'm going to pour my heart out on that table and it'll change anything in you that needs to be changed. That's repentance. That's how it's going to go. It'll be a refreshing meal. We come to church sometimes out of obligation or we have to when it's supposed to be that when you come into the presence of the Lord, that it moves you and changes us as if, as if everything becomes new. So that's an that's a, a amazing truth about the very heart of God and how he wants to invest in us. Now when we get back to Acts 3.19, because I want to make sure we understand the, the exegesis here of it. Peter has just healed a man who has been lame from birth. This man calls out, Peter and John are walking through, they see him, they stop. Peter does the things that only Peter can do. He reaches his arm out, he seizes him picks him up, silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have, be healed in the name of Jesus. The guy gets healed. The guy starts leaping, and guess where they go? To the temple to do what? To rejoice. That's how impressive it is. They get there, and guess what the religious people do? They start coming after Peter and saying, why are you creating problems? And so Peter's message is where we really find Acts 3.19, where he says to them, God... Um, in Acts 3.19, he says, Therefore, Peter says to the, the priest and the individuals who are arguing with him about creating chaos. And I, I guess what it is here, it's hard sometimes to paint this correctly, but the people that are in this portion of the audience are people who don't really believe in Jesus. And so what Peter's really saying to them is, look, you are ignorant and unbelieving, therefore you don't get it. And so then when he says to them, therefore repent and return, <clears throat> so that your sins may be wiped away, in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, what he's telling them is don't be trapped in your ignorance. There's great joy that's available for you. It's not me, it's not people. It's the fact that God himself can do amazing things in our lives. It was interesting because just earlier this week, I had a conversation with my uh, dad in Texas, and I was talking with him, and, and 
he was talking about the situations at hand in the United States right now. And he said, you know what? If people are the top of the food chain, we're pretty pathetic. He literally said that. And I just kind of had to smile and listen to him because I agree with him. People in, a, in our current state outside of really being transformed by the life of God are really kind of pathetic, especially if you think of it in terms of what we could be in him. And so I, do, I just like to say, if we are in a place of not living a really purposeful life, it might simply be because we're accustomed to it, we're ignorant of what a life could be better. And it's gonna completely change when we allow God to transform us. And when we as individuals get transformed, then we're able to start transforming others, which is the second portion of refreshing. I want you to now go to Revelation chapter 3, verse 19. It's one of my favorite passages of Scripture. And in it, we're going to see the Lord Jesus now almost doing the same thing that Peter did and almost the same thing that God spoke to of the slaves uh, as they were coming into the promised land. Jesus is actually speaking to his people. So this isn't those who are unsaved. This isn't those who are ignorant and, and don't know the Lord. He's speaking to those who are indifferent. And what it is is that they've let the things of the world crowd him out so that they're not able to really uh, come into his presence or enjoy his presence. And this is what he says to them. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. We will be present together, just like he wanted in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy, just like Peter was calling the people who didn't know him to come out of their ignorance and become uh, transformed by the presence of the Lord. So Jesus is saying, listen, if you're at this level, let me really have an opportunity to meet with you and take you to a whole new level. That's what I do. And so what I want us uh, to do during our season of fasting is make sure that we're listening for the Lord who's knocking at the door of our heart saying, come on, let me in. Let's do something completely different. And he's telling you, and he's telling me, don't go after the other stuff. Go after my presence, because that's the transforming, that's the life, that's the power. And I want you to know if we will do that, then what will happen is we certainly will not be disappointed. And that transformation of power will be so alive in our lives that we're going to be able to take it to those who are wondering, those who are walking in ignorance, those who are looking around saying, if that's the best we, the world has to offer, then I'm going to sign up with Elon Musk and go try to inhabit Mars because this stuff is, is not so hot. Listen, hey Elon, even if we went to Mars, we'd just screw it up too. If you go to the presence of the Lord, you win no matter where you're at. And that's the whole point of what the Lord's trying to tell us. Can we take this time of fasting to be energized, to be changed, to grow by the very presence of the Lord? Carve out the time, make time in your day in the margin to meet with the Lord. Allow Him in His presence to be able to touch your heart. And I'm asking you just to seek Him again and may you uh, also get to experience that in a community of believers who really genuinely care about you. Thank you.